Good morning, Victoria. I know you're you're a former personal trainer, aren't you? I am. I'm former PT. To you never the stars. mentioned that. You never mentioned that when we introduced ourselves at the start. Well, of do you know podcast. what I didn't do? I didn't do so much personal training. I got asked to do a lot, but I didn't like it very much. What was wrong with it? First of all, that it tended to be blokes asking you, and they ended up chasing you around the coffee table like uh, what's his name? <laughs> no, what's that guy's name? Did a Benny Hill. <laughs> so you were the Benny Hill woman of personal trainers yes and if you see personal trainers to the stars like that's the way that they always tag themselves even though they've sort of maybe met someone from eastenders once or something you can rest assured that those people have to stand on the doorstep of a celebrity possibly a celebrity or a a well-known weirdo from a gym in london waiting for them to give you cash into your hand and there's nothing that apparently ignites a man's desire more than having a young woman working for him and having to pay her than going in for the kill so i would actually brace myself for it but i didn't want to put myself in that position much longer and the other group of people who asked me quite often were women who drove such a hard bargain and then they'd have a headache and cancel you the last minute and you'd be sort of you know waiting on someone's doorstep when it was snowing and they decide not to turn up so um yeah it was I, I loved my time as a personal trainer oh sorry arsewipe <laughs> did you ever get chased around a coffee table by any minor z-list celebrity <laughs> i'll have you know they're at least c grading I've been chased around better coffee tables than this. <laughs> I said that every time, and I never had been. <laughs> well, hang on a second. So you actually never oh, have been chased around better coffee tables or better people. Oh, you didn't both, let me finish. <laughs> Good morning, Victoria. I'm Ben Ando. I'm a former news correspondent, and now I'm a podcaster. And I, I, pot- I like to think I potter around. I think you do potter around. It's what you're best at. I think, I think you reach a certain age. You didn't let me finish. I, I think just you reach. Tried. A, I think you reach a certain age when the idea of just pottering around fills you with joy. You've always been filled with joy at pottering. <laughs> that might be true. Maybe I was old before my time. I think most people think that, don't they? Or maybe most of the people I roll with. Well, they think that about me, or they think that in general. In general, because that's the common factor. Ah. I'm Victoria Mitzi. I'm a schoolmistress. A disciplinarian, a fun organiser, and a domestic drudge. Oh, and a bit of an exerciser. Did I say journalist? I think I'm a journalist still. You're not a schoolmistress, are you? Well, I have to do the schooling stuff, don't I? Oh, I see. I mean, albeit, um... albeit more of a kind of... What's that number? Is it a two? So what happens if you take one away from four? I mean, it's the type of maths I can do. Why would you immediately lead on, what's that, is it a number two? (laughs) That's actually the um, type of parlance that goes on in this house quite often. And when other three, four-year-olds come over, that's what they talk about too. The words poo, bum, fart, most hilarious stuff um, that goes on in their world. I can just imagine your poor, recently aged four daughter rolling her eyes when you come out of the toilet and go hey mummy's just done a big poo <laughs> i don't need to announce anything she's standing there looking into the toilet she really <laughs> oh, wants that... to know the exact stuff the nursery the first very sort of state of the art it was a bit of a celeb nursery she was at actually in, mm. in kensington God. name <laughs> dropper I'm starting to sound that like that woman did you see that financial times i bet you drove about... a hard bargain didn't you i bet i bet the people in the nursery are saying god that terrible <laughs> 
Victoria woman, she drove a hard bargain. <laughs> and they said to me at the nursery, it's a really good idea to let her kind of look at your poos so that she doesn't get kind of frightened of, you know, she kind of acclimatises to, to poos. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> okay but that i sounds... didn't need to invite her she just opens the door of the loo did you not remember that from your daughters that you don't even have a moment's privacy on the toilet well i mean there is a lock on our toilet door as i recall and it was used to keep inquisitive three-year-olds out <laughs> um one of the babysitters who um she actually ran a crash and stuff she's a proper babysitting person she said that her children used to post notes underneath the door when she locked the door so she couldn't get away from them anyway even when they were older it was like mum can i have a sandwich when you get out <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> well that's quite a good way of teaching them to write i suppose <laughs> necessity well, being the mother of invention they were 16 <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, back to crime. To what are crime, we going to do today? Say, I want to know. Oh, no, we're talking about Billy the police Joe. officers taking selfies. We're talking about the police officers taking selfies at the scene of a murder, a double murder, and how that plays very badly against the police trying to reach out to the black community in London and the way they've chosen to police certain street parties and illegal gatherings at night time in areas of London as well. I'd love to let and you finish, but you missed an important detail there. A double murder of two black women. I did miss an important detail, it's true. And then we're going to talk about uh, the murder of Billy Joe Jenkins, which is currently still 23 years on an unsolved murder. Mm, and it began to be solved and then undid again, didn't it? It um, did get undid. Fascinating. We're going to talk about illegal parties. Well, I said they were illegal. I mean, are they illegal? I'm not entirely sure. They're sort of against the guidelines. They're against what we should be doing. I'm not necessarily sure whether they have the full force of law against them or not. And that's an interesting point, mm. which I think is worth discussing. Good point. And, of course, interaction from you, our lovely listeners. Of course. You didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com is our email address. We are going to discuss specifically reactions to our former guest mark williams thomas because that's been very busy on our social media and controversial absolutely yes sorry you were going to say another social media i was just going to say our twitter handle is at ydlmf podcast and on that you can direct messages as some people have you can just i don't know retweet us or you can just tell us um how goddamn awful we are we get a lot of actually feedback, don't we, from America? There's lots of um, podcasters who are tuning in from America. In fact, oh, we're hoping to talk to some of those podcasters too. Yes, yes, we do. I do already. But I don't tell you that we have we have listeners in China, Finland, India, you name it. We have listeners all over the world. So thank you, our international friends. You are as close to us as our UK friends by an email. You're all an email away. You didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com. Anything you pick up and anything you want more of, uh, Mark Williams Thomas actually told us he would talk about anything. Mm. And we certainly will, won't we, we Ben? Certainly, yeah, absolutely. Well, we will until we're shut down by the other one. <laughs> oh, and I'd Not like to say a big shout out to my BBC bosses who are also listening. I was recently in an interview and they told me they listened to my podcast. Aren't you interested that BBC managers are listening to I our podcast? I actually really... Actually, yeah, actually, now you say that, I'm like, really? Okay. Do you know um, what I they... first... What would you say if somebody said that to you in a board? I'd say, or should I, I say job you... interview because normal people say job interviews? 
I'd say I hope you found it interesting and enjoyable and were lavishly entertained. When I went back in, everyone went, oh, we've seen your podcast. Where were you in the woods? We want to know how you managed to... I was like, oh, they're all interested. The whole BBC is blooming listening. So big shout out to you lot. <laughs> and my editors who... The first thing was, was that I'm, I'm sitting there in a job interview for a broadcast journalist position. And there I am. The, the last podcast opened with shit smearing on the walls. And so initially I went, oh, really sorry about all the swearing. And the shit smearing. I didn't go into details. I thought I thought that would actually be me shit smearing. Well, I hope you will now that you didn't get the job. You can go and shit smear shit all around their offices. <laughs> can I leave that one in? Yeah, by all means. I've already done it. So they'll find out that the <laughs> turns are from it. me. Sorry. It's actually you, the shit smearing obsession. I've never smeared shit in my life. Let's get on with the podcast. Time is running away okay. with us. So... So, this is well sorry. so, so <laughs> all right so february 1997 cast your mind back 23 years and this was uh, in hastings seaside town and billy joe jenkins was a, a foster child she had been taken into the care of a deputy headmaster named Sean Jenkins and his wife Lois Jenkins, and they already had two daughters. So Billy Joe, aged 13 years old, her father had been sent to prison, her mother couldn't cope, so she had been adopted by Sean and Lois Jenkins. It's pure coincidence, incidentally, that Billy Joe's birth name was Jenkins and their surname was Jenkins too. Anyway, in February 1997, Billy Joe was found bludgeoned to death on the patio of the family home in Hastings. Um, she had been struck on the head repeatedly with a, a metal tent peg that was found nearby while she had been painting the patio doors at the back of the house. Now, at the time that she was killed, all the family members were out. Sean Jenkins had taken his other two daughters on an errand to go and fetch some white, white spirit and a few other bits and bobs, and his wife was out too. Now, initially, the police arrested a local man with mental health issues, but later they arrested Sean Jenkins. It was one of those cases, this was still the era where if police had suspicions about people, they would often put them in a press conference scenario to make appeals for information, and then they wanted to study how they behaved. And they felt that there was something about how Sean Jenkins behaved that wasn't quite right. Um, they found, although there was no clear forensic evidence uh, linking him to the killing, they found 158 microscopic, microscopic spots of blood on his clothing and these these would be much too small to be seen unaided by the human eye but they were found during forensic testing and on that basis he was tried and found guilty of murder however um in 2002 he was that conviction was declared unsafe by the court of appeal he was retried again and the jury couldn't reach a verdict he was retried again the jury couldn't reach a verdict and the crown prosecution service said right that's it we're not going to try and try him again we accept that um, he is not guilty so sean jenkins has been found not guilty of killing his uh, foster daughter billy joe jenkins now the crucial thing in all of this is this blood evidence because at the first trial i remember it vividly because i remember in fact the very first morning of the trial i was there covering it for itv uh, itn channel 5 news and as sean jenkins walked into court because very unusually for a murder suspect he had been allowed bail um, when he walked into a court, he was spat on by Billy Joe Jenkins' natural father, Bill. 
and her natural parents did attend the the, the entire trial process um, all the way through. Anyway, so um, at the trial originally, the evidence against Sean Jenkins was the blood splashing. Well, it was, it was described as a blood mist, a blood mist that had come up off the body and um, landed mist on his clothing. different from spattering. Absolutely. And, that, and that's exactly crucial. That's it. And I think the reason that we had the first trial that was later declared unsafe was that I felt the lawyers expressed it very, very badly. The prosecution lawyer was a Mr. Camden Pratt and the defence lawyer <laughs> no. was a... <laughs> yes. And the defence lawyer was Anthony Scrivener. And both of them, I thought, never really explained clearly to the jury what they were talking about. So the and I'm, we had this bizarre thing where the jury was shown a video of a forensic pathologist, forensic scientist in a white paper suit with a pig's head. The pig's head had scores in its top. Blood was dripped into these. And then the forensic scientist hit the pig with a with a metal tent peg and then they looked at the clothing and they could see this blood spattering on the front of the clothing was that not quite gory it was awful yeah and the jury had to watch this i mean but there was all sorts of weird things happened in that trial that's at one very point, weird at one point the defense barrister asked the defense solicitor to lie on the floor of the court in the same position that billy joe's body was found in which seems utterly bonkers to me but there we go well um, actually that seems quite useful but going back to the pig hitting <laughs> the, um the pig hitting the big hitting. Um, Mark yeah. Williams Thomas did a reconstruction. One of his investigators, friend of the podcast, celebrity friend yes. of the podcast, of burning a pig to see in the Carol Packman investigation whether you could completely burn. You know, the, one of the options was that she was burnt in the garden there. So it, pigs are used quite often in these kind of mock-ups. Well, isn't that because um, pigs are supposed to be sim most similar to human in terms of their sort of biology? And that's why... They say that. More similar to some humans than others, I hasten to add. Don't cannibals call humans long pigs? What? they really? taste the same. Are yeah, you kidding apparently. me? No, that's true. Anyway, so getting back to Billy Thanks Joe. Thanks for giving um, me another podcast title. <laughs> what long pig <laughs> anyway but let me try and explain this this blood mist stroke blood spatter is really important because if anybody's watched i don't know dexter or any of those shows which deal in uh, sort of blood depositions at the scene of a crime you know you get arterial spray or you get venous spray or you get blood splashing and these are spots that you can see quite clearly often where the spot lands another spot will be just next to it showing the direction it was landing when it hit the wall or the surface or whatever but this is this was different this was on his fleece and his trousers 158 tiny tiny spots of blood that were less than a quarter of a millimeter across they were absolutely tiny and so what was not really explained i don't think to the jury but which we can probably try and understand is that this wasn't blood spattering this was like a sort of a mist of blood that sprayed up in a single incident and the reason that the um, appeal court later acquitted Sean Jenkins and declared his conviction unsafe is because they heard evidence that was much clearer and described how when Billy Joe was attacked with the tent peg it's quite possible that there would have been a, a kind of a, a blockage created in her, her windpipe uh, in her lungs and this would have, and as blood from her head kind of went into her throat and down, this blockage would have sat there. And when Sean Jenkins came back and discovered her body and kind of kind of rolled her almost to tend to her, in that instance, as he was squatting down next to her and doing that, this blockage would have cleared 
there would have been pressure had built up in her lungs in a split second this blockage cleared and a bit like a balloon bursting this whatever blood was in her nose and her airway would have sprayed up in, in an instant in like an aerosol so if you imagine like a squirting a, a deodorant canister that's tiny droplets suddenly spray up and that's what have happened and those are the, the droplets that landed on sean jenkins so what he claimed was shown to be correct whereas the jury in the original trial were clearly believed this idea that mist could spray up back from a from her head as as she was being struck the prosecution's case was that these droplets landed on him when he was hitting her and killing her and the defense's case was no that happened when she was moved but it was explained so badly i could understand how the jury the original trial got mixed up but in fact the appeal court was given far clearer evidence and that's why they were able to clear him but of course the tragedy is that we now know that um, Sean Jenkins was innocent. He, he, he didn't do what he said. His marriage collapsed. His wife took their two daughters to live in Australia. So he's lost out massively. And in, as recently as uh, 10 years ago, the British government said they were not going to um, compensate him in any way for the time he spent in prison because, of course, after the first trial when he was convicted, he was sentenced to life in jail. However... Um, how long did he what, do? Uh, how long did he serve in jail? Yeah. Um, well, he was jailed in 1997. The appeal court quashed his conviction, I think, in 2002. So he served five years in prison. Right. Okay. Uh, he, his, his, say he lost his family insofar as his wife emigrated to Australia with her, their two daughters. And um, there is still out there the person who actually killed Billy Joe Jenkins, and we don't know, and that crime remains unsolved to this day. So do you, in your opinion, is Sean Jenkins innocent? Yes, I think he's completely innocent. I think that the evidence that was later shown to the Court of Appeal was very clear. And, and this is really the point. This is why um, I suppose the thrust of this, as much as anything else, is how important it is for barristers to understand what they're saying and explain it clearly. Because I remember that I didn't understand, or I struggled to understand, what was going on at the original trial. There was talk of aspirated air and non-aspirated air. And I think the jury's eyes were glazing over at this point. We had this bizarre pig demonstration which I don't think proved anything and I just felt both the prosecution and the defence made an absolute fist of explaining to the jury in clear terms what the case was. Did they make a you ham could of argue... it? Pardon? Did they make a ham of it? <laughs> boom, a, pig, boom. a pig's ear? They, they certainly made a pig's ear of it yeah I mean you could you could I suppose say to yourself well it's in the prosecution's interest if, if their job is to secure a prosecution and secure a conviction if their job is to secure a conviction, then it's in their interest to muddy the waters, to create the idea that um, it's possible that hitting the, the, the Billy Joe's head with a tent peg would cause not spattering to come up, but just fine mist. I mean, the bizarre thing was, if he'd really killed her, surely he'd have been covered in blood. He'd have had blood all over him that would have been sprayed up from when he hit her head. But no, they were trying to say it wasn't that. It was just this fine mist that sort of rose up into the air and then sort of settled on him, a bit like um, if you sort of spray an aerosol can into the air and then sort of mm. walk through the mist. Okay, um, um, but so where are we sort of... If he's innocent, then what are our options? Well, our options are... they did. A, the police did arrest a man with mental health issues who was seen in the area at the time. The Jenkins family had said there had been prowlers around the back of their house, around the back garden, because the, the back garden sort of led on to sort of public open land at the back. And they had installed security locks and um, lighting in the garden because they'd been worried about prowlers. And there's, there has always been this theory that there was a prowler around, and it might well be that Billy Joe was in the garden on her own, 
uh, the Prowlosaurus came in and and killed her. But nobody has ever been arrested beyond the guy who was arrested very early on in the investigation. No one else has been arrested, and there's and this case remains unsolved. If you listening to this have any further information or any insights or thoughts about Billy Joe Jenkins murder then we'd love to hear from you you didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com or any of our twitter ydlmf podcast at ydmlf podcast because uh, you make these cases even more interesting so if you're sitting there talking to your radio and we're, we're missing out on something let us know is that so? Where should we go now? Is that a good? Well, I point? think we should talk about these. Um, the, the the how as we come out of lockdown. I mean, you know, we started this podcast, didn't we? Because we were in lockdown, and we thought, let's just find some way of of doing something that would sort of interest us, and hopefully interest a few other people as well. Um, now we are emerging from lockdown here in the UK, and people are starting to get out and about. And there's been very clear sort of difference in how the police is behaving now in london there have been various um late night gatherings parties illegal street raids call them what you will and the police have been criticized for not clamping down harder on these and yet what they've been saying is we you know we understand that people have had a really tough time of it in lockdown especially among minority ethnic groups because it's i think there's a lot of statistical evidence to show that covid is far more lethal to uh, members of the uh, black and ethnic minority uh, groups than than it, than it is to other people and so they have been saying well look you know there have been arrests they've arrested people for possession of um, knives or firearms but broadly speaking that there haven't been police going in in riot gear they haven't been trying to clamp down too hard on these in the same way that they haven't tried too hard to clamp down on the recent demonstrations in london um, which caused again a, a significant amount of controversy and I think that's clearly an effort to engage with those communities and just cut them a bit of slack on the basis that it has been a tough time the last three months for everybody, but particularly people who live in cities who maybe don't have access to open spaces like those of us who live in the countryside um, are more privileged to have. And yet you have to contrast that with the awful, awful story of the murder of two sisters in Wembley in North London and the behaviour of the police officers in that where two police officers have been arrested and suspended amid allegations that they took selfies next to the bodies of these murder victims. Now, the um, police uh, complaints organization is investigating this, and you know Nicole Smallman and Bibar Henry were these two sisters who were stabbed to death earlier this month. And it's their mother, um, who has uh, Mina Smallman, who's given a series of interviews and, it, and, and quite clearly said that this... This behaviour has, in her words, dehumanised her children. She says they were nothing to them, and what's worst, they then sent them on to members of the public. And this is true because these photographs did circulate on social media, having been sent out by these two police officers. And so the Independent Office for Police Conduct is, um, has personally visited the family, along with senior officers from the Met, to explain what happened and and presumably to apologise, and it's and it's such a shame. When I, I I know police officers and I wrote a book about police bravery and I know that the vast majority of police officers care about their communities, want to make a difference and want to do the right thing. And yet, when you hear stories like this, it sets that cause back so far, especially among you know black and ethnic minority groups who think, here we go again. This is just you know police behaving disgracefully. Would they have done this? They will say, if these were two female white victims uh, of well stabbing. what their mother said 
was and obviously she's still it's still very raw and not that you ever recover from anything like this but she kept her wits about her and spoke very strongly to the BBC and she said the police feel so safe and those words were really they really kind of shook me because these individuals obviously think they're not doing stuff they feel that there are going to be repercussions about yet it's so heinous and she said they were dehumanised, which they were. Yes. When she says safe, she means they felt they were untouchable. They felt exactly. that what it, there could be no sanction against them, despite this being, by any measure, this is disgusting behaviour. The fact is that I do agree with her point. I think it's an important point to make that they do feel untouchable, as you say, because I think that there is an institutional racism, and I think that's where Black Lives Matter comes in that's trying to shake that last this is still going on despite everything right in the middle of it here it happens again is that not the biggest demonstration and that's what their mother is saying and she says it very she's um she's a woman of the cloth isn't she she's uh, a reverend i think oh yes so sorry yes no you're right she's a former archdeacon of south end is that the same i, had, as a I hadn't actually sp- i don't know yeah, no, that's, that's, that is a, um, a, a, a member of the Sorry if I'm, yes. I'm guessing my ranking wrong. I'm not really au fait with that. But oh. um, she is a good speaker. And I thought that was a very important point because until these ingrained things get at least moved and they're not showing to be moving, I don't want to be negative about it, but it's very, very important. I think from our point of view, the juxtaposition here is between the police clearly trying to police with great sensitivity around communities in London, in in Brixton and in West London where large members of ethnic communities are having these parties because perhaps they're just trying to find a way to enjoy themselves after three months of quite stressful and difficult living during lockdown. They're clearly trying to do that sensitively. But what really doesn't help them is when they have individual officers behaving like this who feel, as we've been saying, that they're untouchable, that that behaviour is somehow acceptable or at least they probably knew it wasn't acceptable but thought well you know we can share this with our friends and all have and 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 what i don't know what they thought i don't know if they're aware that it was being shared with the public presumably yes yeah i mean but that's the problem isn't i mean we've seen this on many occasions where images will be shared and shared and shared and before you know it it's out of control and the genie is out the bottle this was the this was the um, similar to prosecutions that took place after the grenfell tower disaster in which a group of people hosted a kind of bizarre barbecue party where they mm. created a replica of Grenfell Tower in, out of cardboard boxes and then set it on fire and were drinking and joking and laughing and they and that footage ended up was shared on a WhatsApp group and then was shared beyond that and so on and so forth. And the guy so, was prosecuted who they caught, wasn't he? Yeah, that's right. Um, so yeah, no, I think um, I mean this whole thing's very interesting, and as you say, there's uh, there's two sides to the coin because if the police are trying, then that must be recognised, and if it's being set back, if you harbour the one side of things, then they never will go forward. So, um, but what I mean, what do you do? I think it was very surprising for me to to hear, see, and hear um, whilst at work in Devon um, that it was happening here too. These kind of you know, and as you said, Ben. Um, you know, it's not just black people on the rampage. There were mass brawls with up to 200 people in um, Exmouth. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, no, I mean, nobody suggested for a second it's only, only black people. I mean, there's been some really, really poor behaviour. There's been, I mean, I think for me, 
I, I sort of understand why people try and go to the beach at the end of lockdown and just think, well, I mean, partly, you know, if, if, our, if our leaders are able to drive in the height of lockdown from London up to the northeast of England and go to trip to a, a beauty spot on his wife's birthday, supposedly he's checking his eyesight, then and there's no sanction against him, then I can totally understand why people say, well, if, if the government is taking it so, un, you know, lightly that they're happy to let somebody off who's done that then i suppose i can't really see the point that i would need to stay stuck in my house it's, it's a lovely day let's all go to the beach and of course as soon as ten thousand people think the same thing you've got a, a very very crowded beach although again you know photographs can tell can be deceptive it can be that what looks like a, at a distance from a very crowded beach if you actually walked among it you'd find that most people are probably a meter or two meters apart even on a busy day at the beach you don't need to be that necessarily need to be that close to other people the fighting obviously is another thing and people getting in the water swimming into each other banging into each other that's that's another thing but the thing that i think is most disgusting actually is when those people all leave the beach they leave it like a pigsty mm. It's you know the the amount of littering that was messed. I mean, bagfuls and bagfuls of it, and local volunteers have had to go and clear that up. And I just don't think that's right. If you're going to go to the beach, then please take your rubbish away with you, for goodness' sake. I mean, littering is a real thing that gets to me. I just I just think it's so scummy. I'd like to commend you on your exclusive premonition that these kind of things were going to happen you didn't inv- you didn't factor the good weather into it so you didn't factor the beach aspect mm. but um, I, no but i mean but i think it's like um being in lockdown is a bit like a pressure cooker the pressure builds and builds and builds and of course as soon as there is a release boom i think you you, you you're always bound to see people um going a little bit crazy in a way um crazy and fight i mean is fighting a normal i mean the two of these points you know i'm just an average person you know i know that i'm a slight podcast celebrity but don't be overawed by that i'll you try know, not to be uh, i know i know ben you manage literally i hide like my that. admiration well don't i you really do i don't know where you hide it but i think it's in the depths of somewhere I mean, you see that everybody else has left the beach. So what do you do? You dump your McDonald's. I mean, the extent of it's crazy. But also going out and having a fight. Am I just in the wrong... I mean, am I just Marie Antoinette sitting here saying, ooh? You know? Mitz Antoinette says, let them eat cake. <laughs> let them eat, I don't know, McDonald's. This is getting worse, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> let them eat their hot apple pies and burn their mouths. And drink their cider. Yeah. but no you get my point strongly. is this an, is this a normal way to behave or is this because people have been pent up in lockdown or is it all of the above well i think yeah i mean i think it's a comp like anything it's if a you really love a good brawl email me let me know why <laughs> how, how you know what do you do do you put special shoes on or t-shirts that you don't mind getting ripped or something well, i'm going to the beach and i'm wearing my fighting shoes <laughs> I well see. i think i, I think I think the garment of choice for a beach fighter would be the uh, the, uh, the, the, tr- the the wife beater singlet with cut off sleeves, surely. Is that why it's called that? Because you can actually pull it quite, if you pull a t-shirt, then the sleeves might do something. But if you pull one of them, it doesn't rip as much. I don't know. I, I, I'm not entirely sure whether that's the reason for it. It's, do you bring your <laughs> knuckle dusters? Called dusters. Um, Your nunchakers. But I I mean, you know, you know, young men get aggressive. That happens, and you know, we have, you know, every summer you always get these reports of disgraceful behaviour by Brits in places like I don't know, Magaluf and Ayanapa and you know, Marbella. I mean, that was bizarre. But but hang on. So, but these are the people who perhaps would normally be in those. 
you know, sort of Mediterranean resorts causing trouble who can't go and haven't been able to fly out. So they're, they're the closest they can get is experts. Well, maybe it's the same sort of low-level disorder that Spanish police and Greek police um, have had to get used to over the years. Because I, I think Brits abroad in general don't necessarily cover themselves with glory. I'm quite intrigued by this violence. I'm intrigued by... I mean, it's predominantly youngish men, isn't it? This sort of testosterone thing. But it also, I don't know if you saw that. I think I talked to you about it. That documentary about soccer hooliganism. Because there was a really bad, it was a sort of mass brawl. And I can't remember what match it was. So answers on a postcard, please. But it was such violence. But I think Russian fans were involved. And then they, the documentary went to Russia and showed that these men actually were going into training to be as violent as they possibly could. And this, this level of violence, I don't really understand. First of all, it happens. And second of all, how it reaches those kind of proportions where they were on the rampage. Oh, I remember it somewhere. I'll say on the continent. This was during the um, either the Euros or the World Cup in France. Uh, recently and there were there were groups of of what i suppose you could call ultras these are the sort of the the hardcore fighting fans and i mean they're not fans they they but there there are groups of young men who want to fight who are full of aggression full of full of testosterone um maybe for whatever reason they feel that their lives are somehow dull and unsatisfying and this gives them some kind of reason we we've had it in the uk since the 1980s in the 1980s you had the so-called intercity firms who were quite well organized and would arrange to meet up so they could fight each other and it was part of their genuine regular leisure activities <laughs> did anyone turn up in their ice cream vans but it's, it's but it's just another version of fight club really oh right I mean, you know, normal well you've seen the film fight club where you know nobody talks about fight club but guys or you know white collar guys would, would meet in a sort of crowd, a basement somewhere so you could just to fight each other i think for a certain you know cohort of young men there is a desire to be physically violent just to expend energy in that way but do you not um, have then go on to the the repercussions or put perhaps some kind of outcome thinking i could possibly lose my own life and, but, that stops I, me I, from I, going out for well, a mass I mean, first ball, of all, i think it's incredible okay it's incredibly rare incredibly rare for fights like that to end to end in death normally you know so some somebody pulls somebody off somebody else saying leave him he's not worth it and that kind of thing and it all kind of calms down these but if you think about any kind of mammals you often have situations whether it's stags whether it's i don't know Mad March um, hairs. yeah well you know where you have you know males who kind of like face off against each other and there, there will there will be a physical confrontation i think that there is there is something to be to say that that desire to have physical confrontation between young men who are seeking to assert themselves seeking to find their place in the tribe is an ingrained hardwired behavior and what society is trying to do is try to say well look we don't do that i mean you know in the middle ages we do jousting what was the point of jousting except for you know young men to show how good they were in in combat what was the point of the gladiators you know there's always been this even in the most you know refined societies there's always been some kind of need for males usually males to fight each other we have boxing now you know boxing world champions are are superstars and they're fated wherever they go because they can thump another man well there is that violence in humanity and i think if we try and deny it or try and completely um, say no it mustn't be allowed or it doesn't exist then we end up having trouble the thing to do is to channel it and you channel it through sport or you channel it through through work maybe or you channel it by just giving people a, a purpose and a sense of status they don't need to fight each other to prove it
Oh, I'm a bit of a social theorist today, aren't I? Hey. Yes, and actually maybe on a small scale, when people get together on Facebook or social media or whatever, that could be a sort of lower level. I mean, it's just sort of trying to assert your team and your status in the team type of thing. Because that, was that a very tenuous segue into talking about interaction or social media interactions with people <laughs> yeah. talking about Mark Williams Thomas? Yeah, I mean, it's been interesting and mixed, the reaction. I mean, a lot of people say, you know, you can see that uh, Mark knows what he's talking about, has got a lot to say that is of value. Uh, but there is a, definitely a small cohort of people who are very critical of him and don't necessarily think that he is saying anything of value at all and are very, very, very clear about who they believe to be the culprits in this. And they, they still blame um, Madeleine McCann's parents. And I, I just think it must be incredibly difficult for Kate and Jerry to have this constant knowledge that there is a significant group of people out there who talk to each other all the time on social media who are uh, who are literally ready to pounce on anything and say no no um that's rubbish it must be you know what were the parents doing here what were the parents doing there and i can see that must be incredibly stressful i i, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they just avoid social media altogether for that reason well, I'd be really pleased if any of the people who, numerous people who've been interacting with Mark, with us on social media, you know, listen to our podcast and are listening now, because I'd really like to ask you to let us know in perhaps terms that I can understand, because there are quite a lot of acronyms and there have been people asking us to ask Mark questions, but I don't always understand them. So maybe keep that in mind and get on to me you didn't let me finish podcast at gmail.com and just tell me specifically because you seem quite keen to get us to ask specific questions about Madeline's disappearance and what Mark says because Mark said that he would be quite happy to answer any of your questions and you seem quite keen to get answers so do let me know in a way that also perhaps isn't because there have been one or two how shall I put it maybe a little bit more confrontational uh, without sort of name calling or anything what what you'd like to have put to mark and we can um we can discuss it you know and ben ben's such a good mediator if anything goes um you know in a way that which isn't fair at all <laughs> i'm sure he'll step in with his boxing gloves on <laughs> thanks happy days mm -hmm. my boxing gloves what i do understand it's the main bugbear has been the bit where Mark has said that he thinks Madeline came out of the apartment in Pride de Luge and was then taken. But there seem to be these sequential, the sequence of events that evening of, of Madeline being able to negotiate her way out of baby gates and the, the fact that the shutters were open and fingerprints and the dogs, those aspects. Please tell me exactly what it is you'd like asked because it is quite interesting and I'd like to be able to give you an opportunity to air what you feel and what you'd like answered. Well, quite. Then if we hear from you guys, then we'll try and put it to Mark if we can. He will answer anything. I have Well, thanks promise. for listening. Me? And, uh, I don't listen to you. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you have to listen so you know when to butt in and not let me finish. Oh, that's true. Usually pretending I haven't listened to all of it and getting some aspect wrong. <laughs> our friends, our podcast friends, always time for true crime. Really good episodes. I've been on the edge of my seat or literally, I think I've made it known to everyone that I lie in my bed shaking with fear underneath the duvet. <laughs> with with a torch <laughs> the the Nileen Marshall case have you heard of that Ben no a young girl in um, where's the state in America I'm half asleep when I'm listening anyway a young girl was abducted and I'm halfway through that also the birthday party 
a vulnerable teenager, a gay young man who was set alight at his 18th birthday party and died from those injuries. So um, the Lady Justice podcast kept me on the edge of my of falling out of my bed and rolling around in utter sort of that's what true crime podcasts are all about for me and all of you for your interactions listeners who've also been tweeting and busy on social media and supporting our podcast thank you thank you for listening all over the world thank you thank you thank you thank you indeed thanks to everybody listening and thank you victoria and i will speak to you next time thank you for what ben thank you for letting me finish <laughs> Finally. I don't think you have. Finally. Have you? <laughs> Never. Never. Over my dead body. Maybe that's what it's all about. <laughs>